So whether we know it or not, there is a constant narrative that is running through our brain at all times. And that narrative is framing how we are interpreting what we are seeing and hearing and encountering in the world. And that narrative is giving form and shape to the stories that we are telling about ourselves, what we're telling about others, and even telling about our communities. But even more importantly, it is also shaping the stories that we tell and know about God. But the question is, are those stories that we're telling ourselves uh, about us, our neighbors, our communities, and God true? Or is, uh, does God have a greater story for your life and my life and our community's life and our city's life than even we could know for ourselves? I believe that God always has a bigger story for God's people and God's communities than God's people or God's communities ever know. Last Sunday, uh, we welcomed Suzanne Stabile to Preston Hollow. Uh, Suzanne is an Enneagram expert, and if you don't know what the Enneagram is, uh, feel free to Google it uh, after worship. It is an ancient tool that allows us to spiritually ground into how we interpret one another in the world. Uh, Suzanne and Danielle Schroyer, our scholar in residence, hosted a conversation last week, and that conversation helped us know that we are made in the image of God, we have an essence at our core that radiates God's love, but we often put on different personalities that keep us from living as God has created us to be. Today, I want to build off of that conversation, and I want us to explore what it means to rent your life versus owning your life. Because there's a difference between a renter's mentality and an owner's mentality. And we're going to turn to the prophet Jeremiah, just as Caroline uh, taught our children. We're going to turn to the 29th chapter, and this is what you should know. The Israelites are in exile in Babylon. They are not in their houses They are in captivity, they don't want to be there, and they would prefer to be anywhere else on the planet than where they are. And all they can think about is how to be somewhere else. So listen now for the word of the Lord to all of us this day from the prophet Jeremiah coming to us from the 29th chapter. Build houses and live in them plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. Oh, I didn't send them, says the Lord. 
Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Hover here. Hover here in this very sanctuary, O God, just as you hovered over the waters of creation. Reach across the ages and breathe new life into these ancient words that they would be your word to us here and your word to us right now. And breathe new life, O God, into the words of my mouth and into the meditations of all of our hearts that all would be acceptable and pleasing to you, O God, for you are our rock and you are our redeemer. For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Do you uh, remember the first time you rented a car? I asked Jared that uh, right after the passing of the peace. He said, yeah, uh, yesterday when I flew into Dallas. <laughs> I remember the first time I rented a car. Um, it's impossible not to remember it. It was uh, almost 15 years ago. It was on our honeymoon. Uh, we had flown to Hawaii and our flights had gotten all out of whack. And so we arrived at the rental car uh, station. And you should know that Sarah is three months older than I am, which made her legal to be able to rent a rental car and made me illegal to rent a rental car. But I remember renting this car because when we got there, after traveling for 20 hours, Sarah said, you need to go back inside. I said, why? She said, because the car they've given us, it does not work. And I said, it doesn't work. She said, the car, I don't know what to tell you. It doesn't work. I said, Sarah, it, um, they've just washed it. Like it had, it has to work. Remember, this was our honeymoon. <laughs> and she said, please go tell them we need another car. So I go in and I said, I'm so, so sorry to bother you, um, but we need uh, another car because the car that you've given us, it doesn't work. And they said, are you sure? I said, yes. And they said, let me come out. And so they looked at it and they said, oh, it works. You just have to turn it on. <laughs> and I said, you know what? I think I'll drive, you know? And so uh, the first rental car I had ever driven, I drove illegally the whole week. Statute of limitation. I mean, totally. <laughs> the rental car I allegedly drove. So I, I didn't know the joy that comes with driving a car that you're not ultimately responsible for. I drove the tires off of that thing. There was no gradual acceleration. I floored it. I learned there's a difference between a renter's mentality and an owner's mentality. With a, a renter's mentality, um, you're not ultimately responsible for everything. With a renter's mentality, you only have to look at how long you are in possession of what you have rented. It is different than an owner's mentality. If you're not careful, you can take that renter's mentality that you uh, apply to a rental car or to a house or uh, to a vacation spot. You can take that renter's mentality 
if you're not careful, and end up applying it to your life? Do you know that you can live most of your days uh, from a renter's mentality? Believing that every season of your life is only here for a time. If I just buy some time, we'll get through it. You can apply a renter's mentality to your whole life. You can think. This is what I was told to do. This was my assignment in life. You can take that renter's mentality if you're not careful and it can sneak in the side door and it can surprise you without even knowing it. Yesterday, yesterday, Steve and I had the great privilege along with so many in the choir and Sally Dutter and Debbie Tunnel to lead Monte Johnson's memorial service. Monte radiated light and she was just one of the village elders of this community of faith. It was a beautiful service. It was holy and sacred. But when I arrived at the church, uh, Steve was almost waiting for me. And you should know that Steve uh, sort of exudes all the style for our, our entire church staff. I saw Steve one time and didn't recognize him because he was wearing jeans once. And when I walked in yesterday, Steve looked fantastic, you know? But he was dressed from head to toe in all black. And I said, Steve, you sort of look like Steve Jobs today to me. And he said, that's hilarious. And so Steve and I made our way down to the chapel and Debbie and Sally were standing there and we went over our assignments and I said, doesn't Steve look like Steve Jobs today? And they cackled. And Steve replied, I wish I were Steve Jobs. <laughs> he said, if I were Steve Jobs, I'd have a whole bunch of money. And I sort of got offended. I did. Don't worry, Steve and I have talked about this and he's given me permission. But I got offended. And I looked at Sally and Debbie and I said, God, what a waste that would be. I mean, the world doesn't need another Steve Jobs. God, I think what the world most needs is Steve Jobman to be fully Steve Jobman because I don't know about YouTube, have you ever met someone who radiates such light and love and grace in the world? Have you ever seen someone do whatever that is and people come to know the living God in a new way? I don't know about y'all, I don't want that guy being another Steve Jobs. And they were shaking and I said, can we take a vote committee? And they said, yes. And I said, can we vote for Steve Jobman to be fully Steve Jobman and not Steve Jobs? And they said we do and we looked at Steve and I said the committee has voted we do not want you to be Steve Jobs because we need you the world needs you to be fully Steve Jobman please God don't be anything other than that you can take the renter's mentality and it can sneak up on you without even knowing it. How many of you wish you could be Steve Jobs or Warren Buffett or, <laughs> sorry, did you do it? 
Friends, we're going to invite Steve to the font, and I would invite you (laughs) to lay hands on him, and we will pray. But how many of us, if Steve Jobs is not your person, how many of you want to be that person in your office who achieved whatever you value at an early age? How many of you, uh, when you were a young person, didn't say, I want to be like Roger Stahlbach. How many of you, uh, when you were a young tennis player, didn't want to be like Billy? How many of you, uh, if you went into business, didn't want to be that entrepreneur, or if you're in investing, I want to be just like Warren Buffett, or that teacher that made such a difference to you, or how many of you wanted to be like your mom or your dad because you loved them so much? It's not wrong. You can grow up and you can want to be, want to be, want to be like Mike. But in all that wanting, what you are actually pursuing is someone else's life and seeking to live it as your own. You can take that renter's mentality and apply it without knowing it to your whole life and you will look up having spent your whole life going 100 miles an hour to try to make someone else's life yours. And then you'll encounter um, a word from Mary Oliver that makes you reconsider everything. Mary Oliver is one of my favorite poets. She says, listen... Listen, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? Listen, are you breathing just a little and calling it a life? There's a difference between uh, Renner's mentality and an owner's mentality. I learned that the first time Sarah and I ever bought a home. The day that we had signed all the paperwork, we came in and turns out that whoever was supposed to unhook uh, the washer and dryer forgot to close the water line all the way. Turns out it was my responsibility now to uh, fix that problem. There was no calling the office downstairs, you know. Owning your life carries with it a different weight of responsibility. When you move from merely renting your life to owning your life, there is a weight of responsibility that comes with that. And the weight of that responsibility will require work. It will require you to go deep. It will require you to reconsider. It will also present you with a level of struggle and pain and perhaps even a bit of suffering. It's true for the Israelites, by the way. The Israelites are uh, in captivity. They would prefer to rent, to live in the renter's mentality while they're in Babylon and dream of one day when they will be back home in the land that they came from with those that they love when they are feasting and they are no longer held captive by someone else. They would prefer just to skate by, buy their time, survive, and advance and go home, thank you very much. But the prophet Jeremiah says, no, 
I want you to go deep. I want you to see this season in your life and own it. I want you to plant roots here. I want you to build houses and to plant trees and to have children and to raise those children and to marry those children. And I want you to one day be in this land where you have put down so many roots that you're eating from the gardens that you have planted. You do not skate by on the surface level, Jeremiah is saying. You go deep and owning who you are and where you are because this is the only life that you will have. And that's hard. But Jeremiah says, even though it's hard, it doesn't make it the wrong thing. Jeremiah says, uh, when you own your life, you will go deeper into who you are. And you will go deeper into who God is. For when you own your life, when you own your life, when you own your life, you are being who God created you to be. Not pretending that you need to be any thing or one else. And when you have gone deep into who you are at your core, the byproduct is the welfare of all of those people who surround you and that you live with. I learned that truth yesterday, by the way. I also learned that uh, kids, children, our children, they're the ones who teach us that. I learned it uh, over at Conrad High School yesterday because Dallas ISD has this program where they invite uh, young people throughout all of Dallas ISD to uh, see a problem in the world, to come up with a creative solution, to formulate a business plan, to then uh, pitch that business plan before judges and try to solve that problem in their community. Well, Olivia and her friends at Kramer, uh, they created one of those ideas and they made it to the finals and the finals were yesterday. And I was blown away by uh, young people in our own city who are looking at the problems and the suffering and the pain of the world and they wanted to do something about it. And so they created, came up with creative solutions themselves. Yesterday, there were three elementary schools there. Two of the elementary schools had come up with a pitch for how to care for young people's mental health. And so when the judge asked, why, uh, why, did, why are you pitching this idea? They said, because over the last two years, this is third, fourth graders, they said, because over the last two years, we have seen how anxious everyone has become. We have seen kids in our own school get so angry that they are overwhelmed and they can't find themselves. We have seen our teachers 
so stressed that they don't know what to do. So uh, two different schools of third and fourth graders came up with ideas to pitch for how we can care for one, one another's mental health. The third elementary school pitched an idea for how to take their school garden and expand it so that they could give away and sell that produce to more families. And a judge said, how did you know that this was a need? And a a, a fourth grade woman, she said, well, because I heard my parents talk about how we couldn't buy certain vegetables at the grocery store anymore because it had just gotten too expensive. And this fourth grader said, I knew inflation had affected my family then. And the judge said, did you know the word inflation before you started this project? And they said, no, but I now know that our school has the ability to sell our vegetables for half of the price of what they cost at Walmart. And for the students in our school who can't afford them, we'll grow enough to be able to feed them. She wasn't trying to be anyone else. A fourth grader, so convicted in who she was, so convicted that she could go deep into the root of a problem and not only name it, but to provide a solution to feed her community. To seek the welfare of the city. Friends, we will never seek the welfare of the city if we do not first go into the very heart of who God has created us to be and discover a more expansive God waiting for us there. We will never seek the welfare of the city until we know that what the world most needs is for Rebecca's and Giselle's and Tom's and Peter's and John's and Anna's to show up fully because the world can't live without you. And the world needs us For I want you to know this day that when God looks upon your life, to quote Father Boyle, God looks upon you and God thinks, you are just what I had in mind when I created you. My dear friends, it's time to return the keys, put them in the slot at the door. You need not rent any longer. It's time for you to own your life. You can do it. It's the source of who you are. Will you pray with me? God, thank you so much for good news that claims all parts of us. Thank you, oh God, for showing us the way to care for our city and one another and ourselves and help us know, oh God, that it always starts with you. May we be a people who live out that good news. 
For we pray in Christ's holy name. Amen.